Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Robert Zirk, and joining me today as guest co-host is RC360 senior producer, Sunny Primolo. On today's show, we'll learn more about how Youth Agencies Alliance and its member agencies are helping to strengthen Winnipeg communities and about its upcoming annual ballpark lunch fundraiser on August 15th. Then we'll learn more about the Winnipeg Humane Society's staycation program and how you can foster a dog for a weekend. We'll also speak with Pretty Carr, archivist at the Winnipeg Foundation, to learn about the Foundation's 97-year history and the notable stories found in nearly a century of archives. And on this week's RC360 road trip, we visited the Fort Lorraine Museum in Portage La Prairie, where we got a tour of many of its buildings and learned more about Manitoba's prairie past. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today. My co-host Nolan is away this week and next, but I'm happy to be joined this week by RC360 senior producer, Sonny Primolo. Sonny, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's actually pretty hot, but you know, we're I guess we're all surviving right now. It's kind of funny how it's gone from one, it, it seemed like it was autumn weather last week. Right? It was really strange. And then all of a sudden we're back to these 31 degree temperatures, but nonetheless, I guess we kind of have to enjoy it while it lasts, Exactly. Right? I actually plan on going kayaking this afternoon, or this evening, actually, and taking the football game tomorrow. So oh, hopefully the Bombers stuff. win. Some great summer fun there. And we have a whole lot of great stories to get to, actually. We're going to be learning about the Winnipeg Humane Society's staycation program. We've got Youth Agencies Alliance and their ballpark lunch that's happening on Wednesday. And uh, some of the interesting finds in the Winnipeg Foundation's archives. And plus the Portage Potato Festival is happening this weekend. So this week our road trip is going to take us to the Fort Lorraine Museum in Portage La Prairie. So we've got lots to get to, but we'll start things off as we always do with a song, that is. So here's Petula Clark with It's a Sign of the Times right here on River City 360. It's a sign of the times that your love for me is getting so much stronger. It's a sign of the times, and I know that I won't have to wait much longer. You've changed a lot somehow from the one I used to know. For when you
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by Karen Ferris. She's the Executive Director of Youth Agencies Alliance. Karen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So Youth Agencies Alliance is a little bit different in that it's a network of different agencies around the city. Tell us a little bit more about Youth Agencies Alliance and, and how it helps those agencies. We are certainly unique in that we are a network of 16 different youth serving agencies across the city. We've actually been around for quite some time. We started back in 1995 with uh, four agencies that came together to support one another through a community crisis. And then they found it so valuable, the connections that they were able to build with one another and the support they were able to give each other that it's just grown since then. So now we're at the point where we have 16 agencies and we provide a number of different supports to those agencies. Can you give us an example of who some of the agencies are? Yeah, absolutely. We have Boys and Girls Clubs, the Mama Wichita Center, Spence Neighborhood Association, Teen Stop Jeunesse, Art City. There's a whole variety of them. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. a lot of those are familiar to our, our listeners. We've had many of those organizations on the show before. So yeah, some great organizations that are part of that lineup. Part of the what Youth Agencies Alliance does relates to strengthening those agencies and as well as youth themselves through capacity building initiatives. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those initiatives, uh, some of the conferences that have been held? So we do a number of professional development opportunities for the agencies, for their staff. So we do an annual conference. That's been happening for a number of years now. So we try to focus on things that the staff are telling us that they want to be learning, uh, focusing on newer trends uh, across the agencies that they're seeing in the community so that the staff are equipped to respond to the community needs. So it ranges from supporting behavior management to drug awareness, gang awareness, intervention supports, to dance programs and uh, how to instruct art workshops and and things like that that are more foundational and and ongoing for new staff that come into our agencies because there's always some transitions staff flow in and out of the agencies so we want to make sure that all of them are prepared to do the best work that they can with the youth so we have our annual conference that happens but then throughout the year we also provide first aid cpr and nonviolent crisis intervention training for our agencies so we're able to do that through partnerships that we have so we offer it at a much lower cost than agencies would find elsewhere so they're able to get all of their staff certified because those are foundational to working in a youth organization now some of our listeners if uh, you spend some time out at the forks a couple weeks ago may have seen some uh, some young reporters interviewing people and that was actually part of the most recent youth agencies alliance art project can you tell us a little bit more about that Yeah, absolutely. The art show is one of my favorite things that we do every summer. So we do a number of different joint programs that bring together the youth that attend all of our agencies. So the art program is one of those. And the Winnipeg Foundation was a a supporter of that project this year. So I want to acknowledge that. And this year we changed things up a little bit. The medium and the theme changes each year, but it's always about bringing the youth together to create art around that central theme. So we change it up for them so that they're practicing new skills and uh, being put in different experiences. So this year, the title of the art show was Word on the Street. So the idea was to bring the youth to a community hub. So we ended up 
choosing the forks and they were fantastic to work with. So the youth were able to come together and they we brought in mentors from different media organizations and we brought in hairstylists and makeup artists. So the youth were able to choose what focus they wanted to have in their news crew. So we had the actual reporters, we had camera operators, we had sound techs, we had makeup artists and hairstylists and costume designers. So they could choose which one they were interested in and wanted to learn more about. And then they were paired up with those mentors to be able to learn a little bit more about the trade, learn some tips and tricks, and then have some practice time. And then we brought them together so that we had one of each of those youth in those different roles came together to create their own news crew. So then they went out and about throughout the Forks to find Winnipeggers to interview about different buzzwords. So that was the the root of the project was that there's so many buzzwords in uh, just in media and in our conversations with each other that we wanted to make sure that our youth were really understanding what the meanings of those buzzwords were and that they can range too, uh, depending on who you are and what your perspectives are. So we talked about community, we talked about power, we talked about reconciliation and diversity and things like that. There was a different word every every day of the week. Okay, so mm-hmm. what's the next step from from that point now that all those interviews have been done? Yeah, so today at noon actually is the film screening, the debut of the compilation of all the different interviews that the youth were able to do. So that's been compiled into one video. And then we also also, uh, every year with our art show, we contract with Just TV, which is a program out of Broadway Neighborhood Center, another one of our members, and they create a more behind-the-scenes video for us, documenting the process and the thought behind it and all of those cute moments of laughter and trying something new and the youth getting to know each other through this program. So there's going to be two videos, both shown back-to-back at the WEC. So all of the youth will be seeing themselves for the first time in the video, which is always really exciting to see their reactions. Very cool. And this isn't the first year that the art show has been going on. What are some of the past projects that the art show uh, has been involved with? There's been some really great ones. Last year, we did Community of Strength. So we asked youth to identify strengths of theirs that would help build community. And working with teams of youth to show that everyone has something to bring to the table. And regardless of what that is, when you put everybody together and the diversity of those strengths really adds to the vitality of a community. So really representing that. So the youth each created physical representations of their strengths and then we grouped them together into different communities and the youth created descriptions of what that meant to them. So that was really great. One year we did a diorama of Winnipeg so youth got to create their ideal Winnipeg and what that looks like and what it sounds like and what it feels like and that was really an exciting project so that was really truly collaborative in that there was one piece of artwork at the end and they've also done stop-motion films sculptures that have been out in the community Uh, it really ranges Now, projects like the art show are only possible through community support, and you have a fundraiser that's coming up on August 15th at Shaw Park, the Ballpark Lunch Fundraiser. Tell us a little bit about that lunch and what people can expect. Yeah, so we have started dabbling into fundraising as an alliance 
exactly how you're saying, to support the ongoing work that we're doing with our agencies and with the youth. So the ballpark lunch is really just an opportunity. We do it at the end of, towards the end of summer so that we can just bring people together for a community gathering, share some food, share in some music. We bring in youth from our different agencies to come and perform and showcase their talents for us. And it's really just an opportunity for community to connect with one another. And we think that Shaw Park being close to downtown is such a such a great place to do that. And we have Clay Oven provides the food for us. So it's going to be a delicious meal. Who are some of the performers that will be performing? We're going to have youth from Teen Stop Jeunesse. They have a really strong music program. Youth from Studio 393 out here at Portage Place youth from the Just TV program within Broadway Neighborhood Center, and then youth from Nadinaway as well. We have those ones confirmed so far, so it'll be a really interesting range of talents and different styles of music. Very cool. So if any of our listeners, uh, if you don't have lunch plans already on Wednesday, August 15th, definitely check out the Ballpark Lunch fundraiser. If people would like to purchase tickets to the Ballpark Lunch or learn more about Youth Agencies Alliance and what you do, um, Mm -hmm. where can they go to get more information? We have more information posted on our website. It's youthagenciesalliance.com. So we have tickets available by contacting the office as well as tickets are available at Into the Music, both the McDermott and Osborne locations. And tickets are $20 for a meal, entertainment, uh, and a great gathering. A great lunch supporting a great cause. That's August 15th at Shaw Park with the doors opening at 11.30. That's uh, the Youth Agencies Alliance Ballpark Lunch Fundraiser. Anything else you'd like to add about Youth Agencies Alliance before we sign off? Just that we're in such a unique position to be able to provide support to a range of community organizations and be able to impact the lives of tens of thousands of youth in our community. So we really want to ensure that we have the financial stability to be able to continue to provide that meaningful support to our agencies. They really find a lot of camaraderie and, and peer support through our network as well. So that's it's really almost intangible, the impact that we have on our agencies, and we want to be able to keep that going. So we appreciate any Winnipeggers that want to come out and support us. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Karen, for joining me today and uh, telling us all about Youth Agencies Alliance. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Robert. Coming up after the break, I went down to the Winnipeg Humane Society recently and spoke with their communications coordinator, Kyle Jans, and we learned about their new staycation program and how you can foster a dog for the weekend. But before we get to that, up next is Lobo, Me and You, and a Dog Named Boo on River City 360.
Hello and welcome back to River City 360. I'm Sonny Permolo and today I'm here at the Winnipeg Humane Society with Kyle Jans, Communications Coordinator here at the Humane Society. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about the Winnipeg Humane Society and exactly what do you guys do? For sure. So the Winnipeg Humane Society is responsible for the care of upwards of 8,000 animals each and every year that we accept. Uh, these animals come to us for a variety of, of reasons. They can come either abused, ab- abandoned, neglected, some are surrendered, and then others are found as strays. So we they come here and we have all the, the resources needed and able to get them to the adoption floor. So we take care of their medical care here at our clinic. We also have a behavior team that will work with any dogs or cats to help them uh, learn more about their behavior. Behavior. And then with this information, we're able to uh, fully utilize that to be able to get them set up with the right family. Uh, the Humane Society does a lot of work in the community as well. And it's very important for our youth as well to be able to have them involved in, in our mission. So we have a lot of youth programming from kids camps that run in July and August to uh, school visits that happen throughout the year. And by educating youth about animal welfare from an early age, we believe that it's going to have a great importance in creating value value for animals in the future as well. I know there's sometimes an issue trying to adopt all of the dogs or foster them, but you do have a great new program. Uh, I believe it's called the Staycation Program. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we have the uh, Dog Staycation Program, uh, where we're actually getting some of our longer-term dogs into homes in Winnipeg for a weekend at a time, and it gives them a much-needed break from the shelter. So uh, it's great for a variety of reasons. As mentioned, for the dogs, they can sometimes, if they're here for a longer term, feel a little stressed out and need a break. So we're able to help them relieve some of that stress stress and get them into a home environment for a weekend or so and with that information though we're actually to learn we're able to learn more about what the dog is like inside a home which is incredibly valuable information and and knowing to be able to let potential adopters know about that it's also uh, great for the people who are going to be bringing in the dogs for the weekend as well because they get to know that they're making a difference for a dog in need helping them relieve some of that stress and also learn a little bit more about what it's like to have a dog in the home as well so Overall, it's just a a great program where we're able to connect with the community and be able to, uh, to create some better lives for dogs. So how many dogs are on the staycation program at a time? So we have about uh, six open slots available at a time for dogs in this program. Uh, It will always vary, though, of course, on what dogs are are available at that time. So in order for a dog to be eligible for the program, they have to be a medium or large-sized dog, and they either have to be here for over 30 days or else uh, displaying maybe some signs of discomfort or stress. We know that these are the dogs that are in most immediate need of maybe taking a little break from the shelter. We talked about qualifications for the dogs. How can uh, people be qualified to uh, take a dog home? Absolutely. So all that they need to do is fill out an application form at winnipeghumanesociety.ca. The application form is going to gather some information about what the family is like and what they're and what what kind of dog they're looking for. So we'll learn more about uh, whether there's kids in the family, what age they are, if there's any other pets in the household. And then using this information, we'll get them set up with the ideal dog for the weekend. Uh, Other than that, they come down and they'll get a brief little uh, training session and get introduced to the animal and then we also supply all of the food and the equipment and supplies that are needed throughout the weekend so it comes at no additional cost for the people who are taking part in the program as well. 
What an amazing program. Uh, before I go, is there anything else that you would uh, like to share with us about the Winnipeg Humane Society? For sure. Um, the the biggest thing about this program is it's just it's great for so many reasons in being able to help hopefully connect some some people uh, with their future animals. So people might be a little unsure about wanting to adopt, and so this is a great kind of program to kind of dip their feet into the water, so to speak. And it's also another opportunity for us because while some people might not necessarily wanting to adopt but they might want to learn how to foster and by fostering for a shorter amount of time they can kind of get that feeling of what it's like and then hopefully be able to take on some longer term uh, foster cases in the future and that tends to be one of the most needed fosters within the within the humane society here are fosters for medium and large breed dogs so we can have you know all we can need is a case over the weekend where uh, where uh, you know many dogs come to us at once and we're in need of some space and resources and so that's why having these foster parents are absolutely critical in being able to help us do better for the animals that are here in Winnipeg with us. Thanks so much Kyle. Hey thanks for having me. Up next our road trips have been taking us to museums and archives across Manitoba but we've actually had an archivist with us here at the Winnipeg Foundation all this summer. Preeti Carr is the Foundation's archivist, and she's been archiving documents here at the Foundation from all across the Foundation's 97-year history. And earlier this week, Nolan had the chance to speak with her and learn more about some of the notable stories from these archives. Before we get to that, though, here is Bobby Gimby with Time Was, right here on River City 360.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined in studio by a very special guest. We've got Preeti Kerr. She is the archivist at the Winnipeg Foundation. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, archivist is kind of an interesting role because normally there isn't an archivist at the Winnipeg Foundation. So maybe just uh, describe how this role was chosen and what you were sort of tasked to do and, and why you were brought in. Um, well, with the 100th anniversary of the foundation coming up, um, the the lead uh, the leaders of the project, I guess you could say, um, Susan and Rick, um, they thought it would be important to preserve the history of the foundation. And so with that, they um, they thought to preserve the documents that are here. Um, they I think they actually contacted the University of Manitoba mm-hmm. and through those connections, uh, they were able to find me and I was recommended to do this job for the summer. Very yeah. cool. So what exactly are you doing? You're going through 100 years of, of documents and just sort of sorting them or just analyzing them or what's the process like? Uh, not quite to the entire 100 years. Uh, I did initially think it would be the entire the bulk. Thing, yeah. um, Thankfully, it wasn't because that is a huge project. That would be a huge task. So at the moment, I'm looking at documents that are dating in the last probably 50 years or so. Um, Those are the pieces that I am organizing, arranging, and so to speak, archiving. Um, So right now, for example, I am looking at the minute books and some of the fun files that are here. And um, those will be archived and whatever needs to stay at the foundation will and whatever needs to be archived and preserved, um, that will also get done. So when you say archived and preserved, you're meaning like just making sure they don't rot away, sitting in a box somewhere, basically? Like, what's the process of actually preserving them? Exactly. Um, That is part of it. Mm -hmm. So archiving, my first task would be to take a look at what's there. Mm -hmm. So when I open up a box, I have to see what sort of documents are in that box and how can I arrange them? How can I preserve them by making sure they are in acid-free folders or ah. acid-free um, paper protectors. Things people don't Little even think about. Little things like it, that. Yeah. Right. And there's even paper clips. We can go as small as that. That will actually rust right. a paper. Um, huh. So that needs to come out. And Interesting. And so that would be one of the first things that I do. What, what, um, did, what did Rick and, and Susan tell you that you might be finding that could be noteworthy? Or like, what's right. a cool thing that you're like, oh, look at this. This is interesting. Um, I think the alloy box per se, it's the alloy box. And, um, so that is, um, alloy's history and Mm. the way he started the foundation, the first fund, um, and his own will and how he decided to leave his possessions and how he incorporated the foundation within that. So that's what those historical documents uh, were about. And that is probably the most historical um, box that we have in the entire collection for, sure. for the foundation. Why did you, have you always been interested in history or why did you sort of get into the world of archives, archivism, ar- <laughs> ar- become an archivist? Um, I've always been interested in it. I think I just didn't realize that I could do something with it mm. because when you're in university for per se, you're always thinking about what is my career path? What could it be? And a lot of the time we are thinking about more of the sciences rather than the arts. So that was my sort of path at the beginning. But um, due to some research through the U of M site, I found 
um, some branches through the history department and one of them is archival studies and I read through it and thought okay this is interesting I can actually have a career within an arts degree or after getting an arts degree so doing after doing some research I uh, obtained uh, honors in history and now I'm doing my master's beautiful yeah so what is over your entire career so far what's the coolest or most interesting story you've come across it doesn't have to necessarily be foundation related but if it is fine um I just think there's I don't think there's one Mm. story per se I think the beauty of this um career path or this profession is that you always find something really interesting Mm. um and if it's I would love it if anything was probably over 200 years old like that's where my interest it's, lies it's inherently interesting yes it's just point. automatically interesting um but you just find little stories about people who've created the records or um, an institution that's created the records um even with alloway um his entire will that's um just so unique and everybody's will would be mm-hmm. unique but to see someone as significant as him and to see his will um just to get that glimpse into his past, into the past in general of the city. Um, I think that's really interesting, but there's just so many stories out there. It's just, it's really hard to choose one. Yeah. Is the will considered private or can you share with me something that was um, unique or interesting about it that you're like, Oh, that's different. Um, I think what stuck with me was probably, probably the smallest things that someone would have in their home. Mm. Um, so I know his artwork is in the will, but y- there's kitchen utensils, oh, like right. sets of sorts and um, China, things like that. And so I think even the smallest things in their home would have been of importance and they would have wanted them to go to somebody that they felt appropriate. It kind of humanizes the sort of legendary figure that he is, right? That's exactly. A, that's interesting. Right. So why, let's talk big picture. Why are things like this important for just the average, like why should the average person care about what an archivist does? First of all, I think most people don't really know what archiving is or what the profession is about. I think the first thing that comes to mind is either something completely different or librarian or library sciences, that sort of thing. Um, So I think just uh, having that knowledge in reach to, to the public, to the general public of what archiving is and after that, we would have to Once explain, educated, yeah. right, yeah. why is this important? And I think in general, people realize, yes, the public realizes that history is important. And uh, more more so, I think, now, too. I think we're being educated about it. Um, but I think a lot more needs to be done in order to fully understand what it's about, because it is separate from library sciences. Mm-hmm. It is important to preserve our history and one day we may look back and this happens actually all the time that oh we actually need some documents from our history our institution's Mm -hmm. history our individual's history and because of that i think that realization when it comes about it's almost too late sometimes and documentation has deteriorated especially digital documentation now that we are slowly moving towards we do have to understand how can we um, slowly transfer information and will it 
um, will it be preserved for years to come? Or mm-hmm. is um, digitization now actually becoming, will it slowly become obsolete as technology advances? Because technology is now advancing so quickly, right. we have to be careful with how we transfer information. Because well, if things were on like a floppy disk 20 right. years ago or a it's CD, very like hard. nobody has a CD <laughs> burner anymore or anything like that. Exactly. That's really interesting. Right. Um, Oh, that was going to be my next question. Like how much of your work is in digitizing paper records and like, what is, what is the, what do archivists believe is the future of, of archiving? Archivists do believe digitization is the future. Um, I think a lot of it depends on the funding for Mm. the specific archives or institution that would like to have their paper documentation digitized. Um, so most archives or some at least try to digitize as much as they can, depending on their resources and funding. Um, it's always great to be able to do that just to have more access and another preservation tool. But uh, that is the goal at this point. Well, it's a very interesting job. Uh, I think you're in a very unique position to learn a lot of cool stuff about the foundation. And, uh, thank you for sharing it with us today. Really appreciate your time. Preeti Carr is the archivist at the Winnipeg Foundation. Thanks again for talking to us. Thank you. Thanks, Nolan. Coming up next is the RC360 road trip where we visited the Fort Lorraine Museum in Portage La Prairie. The museum's executive director, Madison Connolly, led us on a wonderful tour of the many buildings on the site that bring prairie history to life. But before we get to that, here's Bill Badgley, Trains and Boats and Planes on River City 360.
Welcome to the River City 360 Road Trip. Today we're heading out to Portage La Prairie, where we visited the Fort Lorraine Museum. Let's go! Welcome back to River City 360. On this week's road trip, we're at the Fort Lorraine Museum with Madison Connolly, who's going to show us a little bit about the museum. Hi, Madison. Hello, how are you? Really good. Tell us uh, about the museum. Like, how did it get started? Well, it was first uh, launched in 1967 for the Canadian Centennial. And, you know, there's just so much wonderful and rich history in the prairies that not many people know about. And it was just a group collective that decided that, you know what, there should be a museum here and we should highlight this pioneer history that we have and this agricultural history. And you'll find at this museum, there are about five different tiers of what we focus in and of course um, we have our pioneer village which has a general store print shop um, the old fire hall and uh, a school and and two churches as well um, but then we also have our pioneer history um, which we have the fort which is kind of what the museum is technically built around um, and the fort represents lover andre who was just an incredible explorer in Canadian history, and he made his roots here in Portage of Prairie. Coming into the entrance here, what am I looking at exactly? Well, um, we often have a couple of traveling exhibits that we have every year just to try and keep the museum fresh and different for new audiences coming in. Um, right now, we have two exhibits. Um, the one we're looking at right now is Clovis Caribou Hunters, and that's from the Sherbrooke Museum in Quebec. And uh, it's more of an archaeological exhibit about the Clovis people. And uh, it goes back, you know, 12,000, 14,000 years ago. And it goes into some of the tool making and uh, cultural aspects of that community. It's just a fantastic exhibit. And it's very interactive as well. Very cool. Let's take a step in and take a look. So these are caribou hides, and we have a little teepee or wigwam here, um, and this is typical of what the Clovis people would have created to keep warm in the wintertime. And uh, we also have some lovely caribou things to try on, and the kids just have a real hoot with that, um, and lots of pictures are taken here. So you're actually welcome to go into the little teepee and, and kind of see what it's like. What else do we have in this space here? So um, we kind of have some things highlighted here too about um, how archaeology works um, and kind of the history of this archaeological process and what excavating actually looks like. Um, and we also have an interpretation table here too. So the kids have a lot of fun with this as well as adults. Um, there's lots of different tools that you can play with and kind of look and see uh, the different materials of different pelts and different hides of different animals, as well as lots of little fun sound effects and, and uh, digging tools and mechanisms that you can work with here. Um, we have 28 heritage buildings on site here, all from different eras. Um, we have a bunch of houses from 1920s to 1950s, and they're just just beautiful. And so people can kind of go through different eras and look at the different uh, kitchen utensils or furniture, and it's just kind of a snapshot through the different eras. Um, but we also have some heritage houses as well, too, and a trapper's cabin. And uh, it's really amazing because a lot of people in Portage here have still have family ties with the original owners of the homes. And... You know, we, even just this morning, I had a lady come out and her ancestor actually had donated one of these houses really? and they still come, the family comes every year to kind of see how it's going and, and help to contribute volunteer and, and keep with the upkeep of it. So now we're in... The Hurry House. Um, and this is just a lovely little example of an 1800s home. Ten people used to live in this lovely little home. 
and it's very quaint. It's just really well restored in here. Um, we actually host tea parties in here as well. So people can actually have a chance to come in and actually experience what it would be like to actually live in here and have an afternoon tea. So so with these tea parties, uh, who can come in and do that? Just about anybody? Anybody. So you have to pre-book in advance. Um, we accommodate four to 15 people. 15 people in this house is a little bit much, but we like I said, we have 28 other buildings, so um, you can kind of pick the historic home that you want to eat in, and you actually can sit down. Um, you have either coffee, tea, iced tea, um, and hot chocolate, and then a pastry as well. And it's just a little bit more than admission, but it's just adds something to the experience. So looking at the Trapper's Cabin as we walk towards it, it's got these huge antlers at the front doorway here. Oh yes, the moose antlers are a bit intimidating, but inside there's a lot more furs and a lot more rustic feel as well. So um, we also do a lot of programs with the kids kind of in this building as well as in the fort. Um, the other day we did bannock making over the fire. Um, cool. Next week we're going to be doing old fashioned cinnamon buns in the Pioneer clay oven. And uh, it's just something we do every week on Sundays, um, just to kind of get some more people out here and be engaged in some of these old-fashioned games or activities. So what are we checking out next? Yeah, so the name of this rail car is called Le Rideau, and William Van Horn um, was the president of the CPR at the time when it went coast to coast. It's a huge moment in Canadian history. Wow. And uh, he used this car um, from 1882, I believe, to 1885. So it was a very small window. And what happened to it after that point, no one really knew. Um, but it was found recently actually near Delta Marsh, which is about 20 minutes north of us. And it's a big marshy area. But yeah, someone was just using it to hunt out of. Um, it's just incredible. And this is just a huge train car. And it blows my mind to think that that was once used for that. So Explain to us what we're seeing here as soon as we get into the rail car. So um, the first portion that we're in, the compartment here, is kind of the lounge. And it's kind of just more of a hangout area. Awesome. So as we go deeper into the rail car, what will we see? So we're going to see a little kitchen, okay. um, a little rustic washroom and uh, a bedroom as well. And then as well as an office at the very end of the compartment. Yeah, so now we're in the back of the rail car. I guess this is the office. Yes. So we have a lovely table here. Um, presumably a lot of plans um, for creating the railway would be out here. Um, we have a nice CPR train model on here as well um, and some conductor's hats. Um, some really neat things that people can kind of look and see and we have some interpretation and material here as well. Wow, so this is the general store? We tried to make it look as though uh, it was, you know, a 1920s store, um, but we have really a variety of everything in here. We have a corner with um, barber materials and hairdressing supplies and just really old hair curlers and, and razors, and it's really quite fascinating. Little interesting things that you could purchase at a store commercially. So this would be, you know, your one-stop shop. So you'd get your hair done and you'd buy your groceries for the week and then you get your mail as well. Tell me a little bit about the schoolhouse. So this is the West Prospect Schoolhouse. It was built in 1881. And uh, it has a whole bunch of really old school desks and some really great um, written literary materials as well. Um, but there is a small collection as well as uh, outdoor sports equipment and, and toys and games and things that are a bit too old to be nostalgic now for some people. Yeah, and we also host a lot of workshops in here as well, too. Um, at the end of the summer, we're going to be doing story stick workshops um, with a local Indigenous lady. She's going to be coming in and spreading her wisdom a little bit and, and running a facilitated workshop. So Very awesome. Yeah. 
and the walls are just full of pictures and uh, class commemorations and you know people actually still come back here and look and find their grandmother or great-grandmother and it's really it's really sweet so what we're checking out now is the fort that's correct. Um, so Lover Andre, um, the explorer, he created a lot of forts in Manitoba, southern Manitoba specifically, as trading routes um, throughout the Hudson's Bay Company. And this was one of his main stops, along with Fort Dauphin and Fort Rouge in Winnipeg. Um, he did a lot of these mini forts here, but his sons actually ran this one. Right now, this is the replica, and we're actually working on restoring it right now. We have two bastions here, two towers, and one of them was strictly indigenous material culture, and the other was uh, RCMP military history. Um, but in the middle of the fort, we have our trading post, and it's kind of like the general store, but like 100 or 200 years earlier. So um, it is a store, but has snowshoes instead of skates. On top of everything that we've discovered today, there's a bunch of buildings here that you can definitely check out if you come down. But you did mention earlier that you guys have other programs that you're holding here. What kind of programs do you guys have? We also do Prairie Sundays. So that is kind of our free family-friendly activity that we have every Sunday this summer from uh, 1 to 3 p.m. And it's something different every week. So it's kind of just an incentive to come back and keep coming back because um, you'll see something different every time. I mentioned before that we are hoping to launch an escape room in the fall and that'll be a really great way to get audiences in here that maybe were not very intrigued by museums to begin with. Culture Days is also coming up as well and we'll be doing some pop-up museums around town um, just to kind of bring the museum to other people instead of having them come down here. Sometimes it's a little bit easier to come to them. We're also hoping to do some Christmas activities as well and be open for some special activities throughout the winter. If any of you are looking to check out any of these programs, make sure you come down to Fort Lorraine and experience the history that you'll see here and some of the programs that you can take part in. Uh, is there anything you would like to add about the museum before we go? So we're open from Wednesday to Sunday. Um, Wednesday to Saturday, it's from... 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. and then on Sundays is 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. and we're not sure how late we're going to be open in the year um, but right now we're shooting for middle of September. Um, we do have a website it's flrmuseum.com we have everything on there um, but we also have a lot of social media pages so we're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and you can also give us a call um, our number is 204-857-3259. Awesome thank you again Madison. Thanks so much. Thanks for coming on the RC360 road trip. See you next week, same time, different place. Thanks Sonny and thanks again to Madison Connolly for taking us on a tour of the Fort Lorraine Museum. This marks our 10th road trip so far this summer, and don't forget that you can listen to any or all of the RC360 road trips on our website. Just visit rivercity360.org and scroll down until you see the link for the RC360 road trip page, and all the stories are there to listen to. We've got time for some more music before we say goodbye today, so here's Ronnie Dove with Happy Summer Days. Another wonderful day And good fortune is all along the way When your heart is filled with gladness Cause true love has come to stay These are happy, happy, 
That was Ronnie Dove with Happy Summer Days. You are listening to River City 360 here on 93.7 CJNU, also online at rivercity360.org. Robert and Sonny are here with you today, and we've got time for one last song before we say goodbye. Here's Dave Cause with It's Always Been You, right here on River City 360.
And that's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and a very special thank you to all of our guests for speaking with us as well. If you'd like to hear more RC360, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to the podcast, you can do so at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU-FM. We'd love to hear your feedback as well. If you want to request a song, suggest a topic for a future show, or even suggest a museum and archive we should visit for the RC360 road trip, give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching at RiverCity360 on Twitter and searching RiverCity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Robert Zirk, signing off for this week's episode of River City 360. And I'm Sonny Promolo. Thank you so much for tuning into the show, and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend.